Yeah, okay, well, it's been a couple of weeks uh, and a couple of minutes since last time we were here. Uh, yes, uh, for those of you listening on the podcast, uh, the reason everybody's laughing is because I just gave an introduction that wasn't recorded. All right, so I'm going to do it again, and it's basically, uh, again, we're, we're still in John's gospel because John uh, really focuses on what happens with Jesus in Jerusalem much more than the others. And we looked at him at, at the Feast of Booths or Tabernacles and the healing of the man born blind. And then later at what we call Hanukkah, uh, or what is still called Hanukkah, of him when they, the, the religious leaders asking him, well, tell us plainly if you're the Messiah. And he says, I have been telling you. My works have been telling you, but you won't listen. And at the conclusion of both of these things, uh, the, the animosity towards Jesus is ramping up. Uh, because he, they, they acknowledge, religious leaders acknowledge he's doing these things, but he's not being the Messiah we thought he should be. Uh, so there's a lot of tension. So much so that when we left off last time, they were, they were going to try to stone him to death, to kill him. And now it's a couple of months later. He, he left Jerusalem, went into the wilderness uh, about, about, a day's, about a day away, and he's been there. And we're told that a lot of people, it's where John the Baptist had originally was baptizing. And we're told that many people believed there. But now, it's an episode that I think most of us are familiar with, and it's the raising of Lazarus in John chapter 11. And there's a lot going on here. Uh, we will, we're probably going to you know, kind of skip through a, quite a bit of it. But um, what we have, setting the scene, notice I don't start right at verse 1. My outline begins at verse 14 with death reversed because we're going to see uh, just that. We're going to see Jesus reverse death. Lazarus, of course, dies again. That's a bummer. Um, but he is, he, he is revived in order to live further. And this is, a, of course, a pointer towards the ultimate resurrection, which we're going to hear Jesus talk about when he talks to Martha. But it's death reversed, and then point two, uh, death required. And that's going to be the pronouncement by the high priest Caiaphas that it's better for one man to die for the sake of the nation, not knowing exactly what he was saying. So, we'll, we'll look at that. But what leads to where we're starting in verse, uh, in verse thir- 14 we know of Mary and Martha from Luke's account. Jesus kind of used, you know, he's been in their home several times in the village of Bethany, about two miles from Jerusalem. And Mary and Martha, brother Lazarus, they send messengers to Jesus saying, Lazarus is sick. And would you please come, basically. And what's interesting is um, in verse 5, He says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two days longer. Well, that's weird. It's it's not like when he heard, then he left immediately. Uh, You know, there's lessons here, of course, that we we all, of course, want things on our timing. And God's timing is not always our timing. There's more going on here. Chances are that when the messengers arrived, Lazarus has already died. And Jesus, of course, knows this. He's, he, he's already dead. So it takes about a day of, of walking from Bethany 
to get to where Jesus is. Jesus stays two more days and then returns. That's four days. And we're, when we're told when he gets to Bethany, it's been four days. So that's probably the, how, how it gets together. But the, his disciples say, no, don't go back to Bethany. It's right by Jerusalem. They're, they're trying to kill you. Let's not go back. But then two days later, he goes, all right, we're going back. And he says, we're going to see Lazarus. We're going to wake him up. And they thought, well, well, if he's been sleeping, that means he's recovering. That's good. And then he gets very clear. And in verse 14, beginning with our lesson for today, then he said plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I'm glad for your sakes I wasn't there so that you may believe. Let's go to him. And then this is great. Thomas, therefore, who's called Didymus, that means twin, by the way, said to his fellow disciples, well, let's go too. We might as well die with him. Which, of course, most of us know from know of Thomas being the one who doubted. But here you have Thomas is the mouthpiece of faithfulness. That, well, let's go. And it's interesting that it's not Peter. Right? Usually Peter's the big mouth. The one you know, stepping into it. But here it's Thomas. I mean, yeah, and that explains, that might explain a little bit uh, about why this account is not in the other Gospels. Yes, sir. I see your hand. I see that hand. Right. Jesus had gotten in Peter's face. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's been a while. Well, it's been a while. I don't see Peter staying hushed for long. Some would speculate that um, Peter's not there. And because it's Peter's witness that forms the backbone of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that maybe that's, if he wasn't here, it wouldn't be there. Another reason, perhaps, that it's not in the other gospels is that Lazarus is still alive, most likely, when the synoptics are penned. And we're told that the religious leaders, we're told in chapter 12, not only trying to kill Jesus, they're trying to kill Lazarus too. So it may have been just an act of protection. But by the time this is written, the, those religious leaders are long gone. So who knows? Well, in the interest of time, I'm going to read and comment as we go. A little bit different this week rather than having others read. So let's go and die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days, meaning Lazarus had been in the tomb four days. Um, some see that as significant because the rabbinic teaching was an oral rabbinic teaching that wasn't put into writing until uh, a little bit later, but there was an understanding that the soul lingered near the body for three days, but only three days. And uh, it, so... This idea of it being four days really puts to rest any idea that there is some sort of comatose state or something like that. That Lazarus is truly dead, if you want to think of it that way. Now, Bethany's near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So, obviously a family of some influence, people coming from Jerusalem to console her and console them. Um, some probably with good motives, 
Others, perhaps, when we see the Jews, when John mentions the Jews, especially the Judean Jews, he's often talking about those who are adversaries, the religious leaders. So there's a little bit, perhaps, of both going on. Martha, therefore, when she heard that Jesus was coming, went to meet him. Mary sat, still sat in the house. Now, if you remember Luke's account about Martha and Mary, that sounds about right, right? Martha was busy making sure everything was ready for the the dinner party with Jesus, whereas Mary was just sitting at his feet, just listening. And Martha complained, hey, 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 why don't you tell her to help? He goes, well, she's doing, she's doing the better thing right here. And here you have Martha, the first one, jump up and go out to Jesus. And she met him and said to him, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Now, there might be a little tinge of rebuke here, but I don't think so. Um, when, they, when they sent the messenger, it was that he was sick. Please, if you're here, you can heal him. But he since died. So I don't think she said, why didn't you come immediately? Because he'd been dead already. They, they, he had already died. She's just expressing in her faith, if you had been here, I know he wouldn't have died. I don't think it's a rebuke, necessarily. If it is, it's a very minor rebuke because it's tempered, of course, by, but I know whatever you ask, even now, God will grant. Which shows her faith. And that faith is going to be evident even further when Jesus says to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know he's going to rise again in the resurrection on the last day. So she knows her stuff. She knows her theology. The Pharisees were proclaiming with the new day of the Lord yet to come, that there would be a general resurrection. People believed already in the resurrection. Sadducees didn't, but the Pharisees did. And that is the teaching that permeated, basically, the, the average Jew. So she knows. Yeah, there'll be, I know that. If only you had been here, but I know there's going to be a resurrection. Jesus then says, what if only the resurrection that you believe in were to come now? You want, if, if only you, and Jesus is saying, how about if only the resurrection, which is me, comes now. Hence, the very famous quotation we know, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. That which you're looking forward to is right in front of you. The future has come into the past. The new creation you're looking forward to is right here. And of course, that new creation, we get a glimpse of it through Lazarus, but we get the true first fruits of that new creation in the resurrection of Jesus. Lazarus' death is reversed. Jesus passes through death out the other side. Something new. That which we're looking forward to has come into the now. Because I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies, resurrection. Everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die, and the life. This harkens, of course, Paul, Paul brings this out in 1 Thessalonians, right? The dead in Christ shall be raised when Christ returns, and we who are alive will be changed and meet him in the air. Resurrection and life. Do you believe this? Can you believe this? Is actually better Greek. Can you wrap your mind around that? Not do you just blankly say, can you handle this? 
And she says, well, yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, even the one who comes into the world. So, wow, what a proclamation. So, what happens next? So when she said this, she went away, called Mary, her sister, and saying secretly, the teacher's here is calling for you. When she heard it, she arose quickly and was coming to him. Now, Jesus hadn't come into the village yet, but was still in the place where Martha met him. The Jews that were with her in the house and consoling her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly, went out, followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to weep there. Um, we have to remember, and in still many parts of the world, especially uh, in the eastern parts of the world, there's a, you know, there's a lot of funeral rites, and public open mourning is a big deal. We in the sanitized West have kind of gotten to where we're ashamed of, of open grief and mourning, which is probably not healthy for us. Now, you can go overboard. They, they would hire mourners to wail for seven days. You were, even if you were poor, you had, to hire, you, know, you had to hire people with a lyre, with a flute, and mourners. Um, it was later rabbis who saw the abuse of this and started tempering it down, but it was a big deal. And you still have professional mourners to this day to wail and to mourn. And they, with Mary, are going to the tomb to do just that. Now again, some probably hired, many genuine, some perhaps not, just like any crowd today. Not a uniform motivation here. But when they go to where Mary is going, they're not going to the tomb, they go and there's Jesus. And she fell at his feet. When Mary came to Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. The exact same thing Martha said in faith. Now, in the Greek, it's interesting. I don't know if John just does it for rhetorical purposes uh, when he's writing. It's the, it's the exact same thing translated into English, but because it's an inflected language, there are, there's a word order flipped. There's a couple of words just different, but it says the exact same thing, which is interesting. Now, when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, some of your Bibles may have a better word than that. It is wailing. It's public. They weren't, they weren't just weeping. Okay, This was emotional outpour. He was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. That's probably not a good enough translation either, this idea of being moved in spirit. It's because a lot of translators don't know what to do with this because it's a word that's used very rarely. And its etymology, its history is to snort like a horse. And it was an idiom for anger, for real anger. I think a better translation here is that Jesus was angry in spirit. And troubled, that, that's a word that normally refers to physical agitation, shaking. There's a little more than he, oh, he was troubled in spirit. You know, it, it was, he was angry and agitated. Now, of course, our question is, why? I mean, is he upset that there's people wailing? Well, no, he would be used to that. What would he be upset with? Well, death. Remember, that's one of the things he's come to defeat, the, the, one of the gifts of the enemy, death. 
And he's come to defeat death. And remember, he's fully human. This is a man he loves. These are people he loves. And, and he knows what he's going to do, but just to see the turmoil and the fallout of this enemy, death. He is just miffed about this. So it's him going to the tomb to raise Lazarus is not so much a passive, come Lazarus. It's more like, I'll show you. It's, it's that kind of thing. This is battle. And he's going into battle against the enemy, and the enemy is going to lose. That's what's happening here. And of course, all along the way, he knows what's yet to come for him. This is not that far from when he will have to suffer death at the hands of the enemy for us. So there's a lot of emotion going on here. So, where have you laid him? He said, well, come, come and see. And here's that verse, right? Everyone knows this verse. Jesus wept. Now, that is a different word than the word used for the crowds and for Mary weeping. In the Greek, it's a different word. It's not wailing. It's, it's, usually, it's usually reserved for sincere inner sorrow, like real tears. Jesus wept. So the Jews, look, look how he loved him. But some of them said, well, couldn't this man who opened the eyes of the man who was blind keep this man from dying? Of course, that too harkens to when Jesus is on the cross. He saved others. Why can't he save himself? Where have they laid him? He says this, but Mary says it. Where have they put him? You see, there's a lot of intimations of what is yet to come. So he heads to the tomb. Therefore, again, being deeply moved, that's that word again, snorting like a horse. Now, again, not literally, but that idea of being angry, he came to the tomb. And we all have our images in our minds of what this looks like. It was a cave, stone lying against it. These tombs could be carved out of the rock, or be, caves could be used and refurbished for these purposes. But you had one central slab in these tombs where you would lay the body, and the body would lay in, in that situation for about a year until the flesh decayed and it was nothing but bones. And then the people would take the bones and put them in a, a, what's called a bone box, an ossuary, and that bone box would be labeled with the name, and there would be shelves carved in the tomb, and you would place the box in the shelving. And that's, so there would be whole families in these tombs. And people still discover these ossuaries today. In fact, later we're going to read about Caiaphas, the high priest. His ossuary, his bone box, has been excavated. We have the bones, well, it's dust now, but the, the actual coffin, if you will, of high priest Caiaphas. Um, there was a stir many years ago, not many, probably 25 years ago, but where there was a discovery in uh, Judea of an ossuary that had the name inscribed on it of Yesu ben Yosef, Jesus son of Joseph. And there was this big, oh, this is the bones of Jesus kind of thing until it was shown that that carving was not legit. That was put in way later, but it was, it was a big thing not too long ago. By the way, that's why it's an interesting detail that when we're told that Jesus was placed in a new tomb. Why? Why are we told that? Why are we told a tomb that's never been used? 
because there was no mistaking. There were no other bodies in there. It was just him. Does that make sense? It was kind of a detail that was lost on us. Well, he's in this cave. He comes to the cave and asks them to roll away the stone. And Jesus said, uh, remove the stone. Martha said, ah, Lord, uh, he's been dead four days. There's going to be a stench, which, you know, is true. Uh, and again, it's her. Now, she has faith, but of course, like all of us, there's still that. But he's, he's been dead a long time. There's going to be a stench. But Jesus said, didn't I tell you that if you believe, you'll see the glory of God? And so they removed the stone. Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I know that you always hear me. But because of the people standing around, I said that, that they may believe that you have sent me. It's almost like what he told the, 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 uh, the religious leaders. I have told you. Through my actions, the Father has done all of these things through me. What more do you want to see? And here you have this getting close to when he is going to have to actually glorify God through his sacrifice, saying, once again, you can see what's going on. So the other people heard this prayer. Some have speculated that this is not the prayer that God has answered. That while Jesus had delayed two days before coming, it wasn't just, you know, to twiddle his thumbs. He was, as he always did, wrestling with God's will and praying and trying and asking for God to work through this. Some have speculated that he had prayed, because he knew what was going to happen, that the body would not decompose. That there would be, so that when he got there, to reanimate Joseph is, is right there. And that's why we're told, we're, in other words, we're not told. It's interesting what we're not told. When the stones rolled away, it seems like John would have said, and boy, howdy, the stench. We're not told any of that. And some have said, well, that's because there was no smell. And hence when he said, I, I knew you were going to answer my prayer because there's no, there was no stench coming out. He knew his prayer had been answered. That's all speculative. We don't know. But it's not out of the realm of possibility. Either way, you have a miracle. You have death reversed. And he said, and then he said uh, he, when he said these things, he said in a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Come on out. It could be translated this way. Lazarus, this way. Um, and he who had died came out. And he had his burial clothes on. His face was wrapped with a cloth. And he said to him, unbind him, let him go. That had to be, whoa, a moment. Um, I wouldn't even know how to, you know, again, in our day and age, we want to really get something, we want to try to film it, right? How would we film that? I, I, that would be, whew, I don't know. Guy's kind of stumbling out or walking like this because he's kind of wrapped up. I, <clears throat> but it couldn't have been him just strolling out <clears throat> because of the bindings. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Do you think anybody said, I want my mommy? Mummy? Oh, gosh. Yeah, you had to say it, did you? Yeah. <laughs> well, naturally, now we hear, we see again. Here's the, here's, you have, you, you think, well, everybody is going to believe now that this guy is from God and must be the Messiah. But not so. Many of the Jews had come to Mary, but 
uh, and beheld him, beheld what he had done, believed in him. But some went away to the Pharisees and told what Jesus, they told on him. And some left and told on him. Yeah, there are some who did not believe. Remember, you had people there. Some of the people who were there were probably some of the religious leaders themselves as well. They yeah, they, 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 they don't believe. They saw the miracle, but they don't believe he's the Messiah. There you go. Yes, sir. Which is next. Very good. Oh, sorry. No, that's great. No, that was, <laughs> you're following along, man. Yeah. Uh, hence the next part of our outline, and that is death required. And that death that is required is kind of a, this is kind of ironic, right? In that Caiaphas is going to demand Jesus' death, but not realizing that he's actually speaking prophecy about Jesus' death and the requirement of his death. So the chief priests and the Pharisees convened a council. Now, we don't know if this is an official meeting of the Sanhedrin. It could have just been an ad hoc thing because we're not told that Caiaphas is presiding. He just kind of shows up and says, hey, hey, you don't know what you're talking about. Either way, there's trouble in the land. What are we going to do? This man's performing many signs. And so they see these signs. They recognize that. If we let him go on like this, everybody's going to believe in him. The Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So it's very expedient, right? Just, if we let him go on like this, Rome is going to come down. Because they're going to see this as a new revolt. All these people coming after the Messiah. Messiah means anointed one, king. They still don't get that that's not the nature of his Messiahship. But that's what they're fearing and if all these people follow him, Rome is going to retaliate. The irony, of course, is when people are reading this, John penned this after the fall of Rome in A.D. 70. And they know that it did indeed happen because they rejected the Messiah. Even though Caiaphas shows up and says, but one of them, Caiaphas, who's a high priest that year, said, you know nothing at all. Don't you take it nor do you take into account that it is expedient for you that one man should die for the people and that the whole nation should not perish. Now, of course, he just means get rid of Jesus. Save us from Rome. John adds, now this he didn't say on his own initiative. He being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus was going to die for the nation, but he didn't know it. Sort of, a, sort of an oblique prophecy. And not for this nation only, but that he might also gather together into one the children who God had scattered abroad. You and I are the uh, beneficiaries of the high priest prophecy. We're part of that group scattered abroad. That's pretty cool. And here is what Tom has already mentioned from his margin. <laughs> so from that day on, they planned together to kill him. So now it's out in the open. There's more to come that's going to, it's going to enrage them even more. Uh, so it's not immediate, but they're, they're trying to seek to kill him. So he leaves, Jesus knows. He goes again and retreats into the wilderness. Um, 
he will be back. I'll be back. Uh, but he, this is still not his time yet. And as we learn later, they also want to kill Lazarus. Because that's part of the reason people are believing in Jesus as well. So it's, it's so ironic. Or I, I love that, that it's Caiaphas. It's the words of Caiaphas. He says, it's better that one man die than for everybody. And of course, the mystery and beauty of the cross, which is yet to come. When death is not just reversed, but death is transformed into new creation. Cool stuff. Let's pray. Oh, sorry. It's still incredible, I think, to most of us that here Martha can believe so absolutely and so deeply. And, the, and Jesus is having to take the disciples with him so they can see one more example. That's good, yeah. It's just it's like he's dealing with dumbness. <laughs> it's like he's dealing with people like us. Yes, that we have to show them over and over. Plus, he recognizes, I think, Jesus, they don't know yet what they're going to have to go through. And Jesus does, his disciples, what they'll have to go through. So the more he can help them see this glory in advance, the more they're able to wrap their minds around the glory of the resurrection and be willing to, to be those people who will stand fast. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Oh, to hunt. Well, in the passage before, the one we looked at last time, Jesus was in Jerusalem for the celebration of Hanukkah at the time. Which is a celebration of the, basically of the cleansing of the temple at the hands of the Maccabees, uh, the Maccabean revolt, basically, to, and cleansing of the temple. That's what Hanukkah memorializes. What about the wailing? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, and, and if I if I you know suggested that it was you know in all insincere, that's not the case. But yeah, no, there's there's quite a bit of and and, and getting the grieving process. Yeah, you're right. Oh, I forgot to mention too when we when we had the term the, when when Chi, when they, the, the the religious leader said and the Romans will come and take away our place. That's the only time in the Gospels, all four Gospels, that the the, the, the word. Romans is used. Now, we know the Romans are there, and Rome, in Rome and Romans is used in, in Paul's letters, those kind of things, but that's the only time in the Gospels. And people are waiting to come in. I'm going to pray for us. Thank you, Father, for this opportunity we have to be around your word. Thank you for the clarity of your word and for uh, how it still, thousands of years later, just moves us and, and, and uh, impacts us. We look forward to the day we share in the resurrection and the life, because we share in you. In Christ's name, amen. All right.